Well, good morning. We are glad you are with us today as we begin our teaching series that is going to work through Holy Week and into Resurrection Sunday. And, and I'm excited for this, this series. I, I truly do believe that if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, that the time that we spend together looking at brokenness restored is going to provide us with exactly what we need as we prepare this Lenten season. The coming death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Together we will explore many different types of brokenness that we daily experience. Together we will turn that brokenness over to Christ, who restores us fully and beautifully in his love for us. For from God, through Christ, right to you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are restored. This morning, we hear of a broken vessel. A vessel at first that no one wanted. A vessel that struggled to no love. A vessel that searched in all the wrong places. A vessel that was broken and crushed beyond human repair. But this vessel was also never forgotten. This vessel was also fully loved by Jesus. By, by Jesus, who fully restores all his broken vessels. And this broken vessel, by the grace of God, was fully restored in Christ. And now, is able to fully pour out herself for Jesus. Sarah, you'll kind of come up here. So my good friend Sarah, uh, my sister in Christ, and invite you to join me as we pray for Sarah. Heavenly Father, we are broken and in need of restoration. Not one of us is spared. Open our hearts and minds today as we hear of a broken vessel, fully and beautifully restored in you. Give Sarah the confidence to speak to share and to show that in you, all of our brokenness is fully restored. And we ask this in your most powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. We're going to start out with a little exercise, okay? I'm going to introduce myself, and all of you are going to say, hi, Sarah, back to me. Are you ready? Okay. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm an alcoholic. Perfect. Why do I start out that way? Because when I introduce myself as an alcoholic, I'm exposing probably the most shameful part of my life that I hid for two decades. But what I hear back from you is my name. I hear acceptance, I hear love, and I hear that you see me as something else besides an alcoholic. I am so honored and I'm so happy and I am I'm so grateful to be here today with all of you. Um, Pastor Scott asked me to share my story and so I'm going to do that. My mom was 14 
when she conceived me. I was conceived out of a non-consensual relationship. At three months, she chose to have an abortion. That procedure failed, and when I was born, she chose to have uh, an adoption plan. So it was gonna be a blind adoption where she wouldn't know the family or where I went, and I wouldn't know about her, so it'd be closed file. On that day when I was born, my maternal grandmother chose to take me. She took me from the hospital. I like to joke at this part in my story that you know those ankle bracelets that they put on the babies nowadays? I think that's because of her. <laughs> so the family that was supposed to adopt me, they appreciated that I was gonna stay in the family so they didn't press charges. My grandma and grandpa were raising me, um, but two months later, my grandma passed away. My grandpa promised on her deathbed that he would take care of me. He would do the best that he could. And he did that for about six years until he decided to terminate his rights. It was just too much for him. And so I went into foster care. I remember bouncing around from home to home, everything I had in a big black trash bag. And I'd go to a new house with people who weren't me, or my family I didn't know. I would go and lay in a bed that wasn't mine, with blankets that weren't mine, and a pillow that wasn't mine. And I did that for a few years until this family was interested in me. So at about 10, I started um, getting to know them. I'd go visit them in the summers because they lived in St. Louis, Missouri. And so I'd visit them during the summertime, and then eventually at 13, they decided they were going to adopt me. And I thought, that was it. I'm gonna get my forever family, and this is gonna be everything I had ever hoped for. That honeymoon phase, that happiness, lasted about two years. And at 15, I started feeling this thing inside of me. I describe it as like a black hole. It was anger, it was pain, it was hurt. And it started to grow. So at first I started acting out by, you know, getting laughs in the classroom. I just wanted, I wanted people to pay attention to me. And by doing that, my grades started to fall. And then that progressed into getting attention from boys and men. And to continue that lifestyle to cope, I found alcohol. And so to if I continued that lifestyle, I had to continue to drink. I had to continue to bury all of that down deep inside. And what that did was it made that black hole just get bigger and deeper. So at about 17, my family had decided that they had had enough. What I was bringing into their household around their other children just wasn't safe. And so they had kicked me out. At that time, at being 17, I couldn't sign a contract for a lease, and so I found a place that I could live and pay cash without signing a contract. And that was in not such a great part in St. Louis that would rent to a 17-year-old for cash under the table. And that was when I was introduced to drugs. What I found was when I kept reaching for these things, they would help the black hole for just a little bit. But continuing down that lifestyle made that black hole get bigger and bigger and deeper. I had my daughter at 23, and I had my son at 32, both out of wedlock. I married once and divorced very quickly. My choices kept my family at a distance, so they weren't involved in my life. Because of the weight of my shame and my guilt and unresolved resentments, this growing black hole just got deeper and deeper. I became a person who hurt people, I hurt myself, and I gave no thought to the destruction that I caused in other people's lives and my own. I lived a life of shame, selfishness, 
self-pity, because I wasn't worthy of anything more. You see, to me, no one wanted me. I wasn't loved, so I wasn't worth anything more than living in that sin that I chose to live in. So much like David in our, in our reading, I felt overlooked, I felt unimportant. I felt left out in with the sheep to the pasture. But God saw me when no one else would. So if you'll turn with me, and I think we're going to put it up on the screen, uh, right before our reading today, there's a verse in 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel 16, and if you go to verse 7. So this was when God was talking to Samuel about sending him out and going in to find the, the king and anoint the king, right? So God told Samuel not to consider the outward appearance of the sons because what it says is, the Lord sees not as man sees because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The outward appearance of my life, my resume, if you will, I was aborted, abandoned, I had failed relationships, children out of wedlock, addiction, it all looked very unworthy to man, unusable. I was broken beyond repair. But to God, he saw a life, a vessel worthy of love, worthy of being broken and poured out to him, offered to him a life worthy of unimaginable blessing and redemption. So what changed? What happened? I was living that life. And how did I get here? I offered every single thing that I had to God. And at first, that was very little. <laughs> so because of his great love for me, because I saw his love move in undeniable ways in my life, I took the vessel of my life, and it created this, in, this overwhelming desire inside of me to just give to him whatever I had. Much like Mary in the story, I didn't listen to the grumblings of the people around me. Oh, people had much to say about me. <laughs> I didn't listen to anything they said. And what I did was I took the vessel of my life and I shattered it open and I poured everything out. My hopes, my dreams, my heart, my time, my children, my decisions, every single thing I had. And I just offered it to him. It was God's love and his faithfulness in my mess that I created that caused this response from me. So like Mary in the story, I saw Jesus work in my life in undeniable ways. So Mary saw her own redemption story, and Mary saw Jesus redeem her brother Lazarus, who, he, who she loved so much. She saw those things happen, and she responded by offering everything she had. And so I wanted to respond to God, God's miracles in my life. He redeemed what I thought was unredeemable. So in the beginning of my sobriety journey, I was homeless. I was living in a hotel with my two kids. God gave me a job within the first month that allowed flexibility for me to be with my children. And it's at an adoption agency. He gave me a church home. SOS Church is where I call my church home. He gave me a community of people who love me and support me, and some of them are here today. 
he gave me, he extended that church family too, because here I am to all of you wonderful people, and I got to even be in a play about Judas Iscariot. <laughs> he kept working and restoring in my life. I found even more kind, loving, and accepting people who believed in me, and they saw in me what God had seen in me the entire time. He's given me a best friend. Um, he's given me this church and an opportunity to serve people. That was something that I never thought possible. What could I possibly give or do for anybody else in my broken vessel? And he's opened up doors and opportunities to love people, to speak life into other people who may have experienced similar things. After about 18 months of recovery, my relationship with my adoptive parents was completely restored. I actually just got back from a trip from Disney World earlier this month. My adoptive family had flown my daughter, my 10-year-old daughter, and I down there to spend some time with them. We spent the entire weekend laughing, loving, forgiving, waiting in line. <laughs> we, it, it was an amazing experience that I never thought was possible. See, there's a little bit more to that Disney story, too. Back when I was in foster care, I was about 10 years old and getting to know them. They had told me, they promised me, they said, this summer when you come to visit, we're going to go to Disney World. Oh, my 10-year-old heart, I was telling all the kids in foster care, I was bragging to everybody I knew, I'm going to Disney World, I get to go do this. Well, my birth mom had fallen into a little financial trouble, and they had decided to try to help her out, and so they had spent the funds for Disney on her and had to explain to my 10-year-old self why we couldn't go. I actually carried that resentment and that pain for two decades. I, had a, I probably was about seven months ago when I finally let go of that, and I said, God, you've got to take that. Well, after about a year of recovery, my family, very reluctantly, had sent us to North Carolina to visit them. They live in North Carolina. And my daughter and I were there, and after the trip, they said, Sarah, something's different. We actually enjoyed our time with you. <laughs> they said that my daughter was respectful and, and less anxious. They said that I was kind, and, and I wanted to help and serve the family. They were just in such shock and awe of this different person they were seeing. And so they said, we want to take you and your daughter to Disney World. And my 10-year-old heart, at 33 years old, was so excited. I couldn't believe that this was just another thing that God was going to give back to me that I thought was lost forever. Not only that, they're planning the trip and they're scheduling all these things and for anybody who's traveled, you know, you got to do it pretty far out and have it all scheduled. One of the nights that we were there just so happened to be my 18 months recovery celebration. You see, while I was down there, what I started to realize was all of these things, even after 18 months of watching God faithfully move in my life, that he was still restoring things that I thought never could be given back to me, my childhood, my innocence, my family. There was a moment in Disney when there were fireworks going off and Mickey Mouse was talking about, look what your imagination can do. 
And what I heard in my heart and in my soul was from God, well done. Look what we have done. All these miracles have led me and continue to lead me to offer everything I have to God. He is the God that restores. He is the God that loves. And he is the God that saw a precious vessel in me. See, Mary took that vessel that was financially worth so, so much, an exuberant amount of money, and she offered it to Jesus. She broke it wide open, every last drop she gave to him. Why? Why would she do that? It's because just like in my life, she saw what Jesus could do. He had done so much for her, and what more could she give to him? How, how could she continue to give back to this Jesus that had given her already so much? If anything like me, it sometimes just doesn't even feel enough anymore. I can't give anymore. And I'm sure Mary felt the same way with that expensive jar and, and shattering it and letting it pour over Jesus. So what now? Now what? Maybe your story isn't like mine. I remember sitting in a pew much like this when I was with my adoptive family. And I thought, oh, God's love. Yeah, okay, that's for you guys. That's for you. That's for them back there. That's not for me. And I'm so glad that I've come to realize that I'm exactly who it was for. That God's love, that redemptive power, the love that God so freely gives us, the love that knit me together in my mother's womb, That love is for everyone. And maybe your story isn't like mine, and maybe you're thinking that I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm just okay, right? I can understand. I was in a place of desperation, and my life was so, so broken, undeniably broken. And that love restored me. And, and maybe you're thinking that, like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just all right. I thought that, too, at a point in my life. I was just okay. But I was so done settling for just okay. Because now I'm living in a place where God's amazing love moves every single day in my life. And that's not just for me. My story, although some parts of it are unique, it's not unique. I hear these kinds of stories at my church every single day of God's redeeming love, of his love that will reach every single person and anyone and all I have to do is continue to pour out everything I have, it doesn't seem like enough. When I reflected over my life, I realized that God had actually been in my story from the very beginning, that he was loving me, that he was holding me, that he was guiding me through it all. So today I just ask that, like in my story, how is God blessing you, and how is he loving you, and how is he holding you together and restoring you? Once I was able to grasp just how deep and how wide and just how never-ending God's love is truly for me, giving everything I have still just doesn't feel like enough. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Scott. Mary in our scripture offered everything she emptied that vessel she poured it out all for jesus sarah 
broken vessel, redeemed, restored by Christ, holds nothing back. God uses it all for his good, and Jesus praises them both. Jesus praises Mary for what she did. Jesus praises Sarah for what she's doing. That broken vessel that that won the praise of Jesus. It's Mary. It's Sarah. It's you and me. You, You see, out of love for Christ, Mary held nothing back. Out of her love for Jesus, who pieced her back together again, Sarah holds nothing back. They were doing, they are doing what broken vessels do. They give everything. And because we too are broken vessels, restored in Christ, what should we do? Every day we should strive to do the same, to give everything we have. He gave it all. He emptied himself on the cross. He endured the shame and the scorn. He poured himself out to be restored fully three days later. He did this for Mary. He did this for Sarah. He did it for you. Every single one of you. He even did it for me too. So now what else are we to do? Are we to be like the disciples? And hold ourselves back to, to, to play it safe like they did in the story? That's the thing about broken vessels. They don't hold anything back. They can't. They pour themselves out fully and completely. They don't hold back their devotion. They don't give themselves halfway. They don't play it safe. They give themselves, pouring out whatever they have left. And love for Jesus. And Jesus praises that. Friends, Jesus praises that. Are we broken? Yeah. Are we restored in Christ? Yes. And so what are we to do now? But by the power of the Holy Spirit, like Sarah, we're to do what broken vessels do. Give everything of ourselves every single day to God out of love for him and love for our neighbor. Why? Because he gave everything for you and me. I invite you to stand. Because together we got to go. We got to start to take these next steps. That, that knowing amidst the brokenness of our lives, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God chases us down. That love fights for you, fights for me, fights for us until we are found. No, we don't deserve it. And yet every day he still gives himself away for you and me. So let's go, empowered by the Spirit, filled with that love of God, pouring ourselves out to eagerly serve our Lord and to love our neighbor recklessly, all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.